Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hello, hello, shalom, shalom, and welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amal, coming to you all the way from Southwest Louisiana. How is everyone today? Man, I sure hope you're doing well. I sure hope that uh, that Hashem is is blessing and leading uh, you into places that you never fathomed before. Hope there are things going on in your life that you just never even imagined. And hey, sometimes those things look like good things, like they look like mountaintop things. And sometimes they look like valleys, you know what I mean? Sometimes they don't look so good and they're not so comfortable, but gosh, he's so good um, and he leads us in such good places. And I'm so thankful to be here with you today and, and that you are listening in. So uh, to all of our first time listeners, hey, welcome. Uh, you ladies and gentlemen that are catching us for the first time on Hebrew Nation or when this airs as a podcast later on, I uh, just want to say welcome uh, to Image Bearers Radio. This is a community of of uh, believers that just uh, are are trying to tap into that divine spark and and uh, we're asking different questions and hopefully asking some hard questions and uh, and looking at scripture maybe a little differently than the way we traditionally grew up and uh, it's good it's a great conversation a great community and I am so thankful for you guys uh, if you are new uh, I'm the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries here in Southwest Louisiana and uh, we live stream our Shabbat services at 10 a.m. Central every Shabbat. And uh, so I'd love for you to join us. Uh, we're at uh, our website, Out of Ashes Ministries, Ministries plural, dot org. Also on Facebook and YouTube, we simulcast. And so I'd uh, love for you to jump in the comments, comment on what we're what, on the service, say Shabbat Shalom, just let us know where you're watching from. would be really, really awesome. Uh, and we're glad to have you guys joining in today. Uh, for those of you that have listened for a while, I just always want to be so um, so purposeful to thank those of you guys who stick along with us and are a part of this community and who comment and share these episodes and stuff is so super important. And um Really, really appreciate you guys and uh, your friendship and all of that. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. So we are today going to hopefully try to finish up the book of Ruth. Uh, we've been talking about Shavuot continued uh, and um, the, the, the ripples or the ramifications or the implications of this really kind of odd one-day feast that falls in the middle of the spring and, and fall feast. And uh, so today we want to hopefully try to finish up the book of Ruth. We may not. We may go an extra episode. We'll see. But we're looking at what the, the implications and the ramifications are of having celebrated Shavuot. What does that mean for us? And what is the big, what is the big deal? Is it just we just celebrate and it's gone and then we just kind of hang out until Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah? And so that's where we are uh, these last couple of weeks. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. So before we jump into the episode, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Avinu Shemayim, our Father that is in heaven. We bless you and we love you and we thank you for this opportunity. Teach us, Father, what the, the ripple effect of Shavuot should have on our lives and what that should mean for the people around us as we seek to bear your image. Thank you. 
All right, so we are back in the book of Ruth. Um, we are in chapter 3 this week, and so we'll start reading, and as kind of I have been doing, I'll stop and comment as, uh, as I see fit. Uh, I know I'm going to stop here in this first couple of verses, so let's get into it. Ruth chapter 3, if you have your Bible, and uh, if you're at home or wherever and you're not driving or anything like that, uh, grab your Bible app, your phone, your, your book, whatever it is. And let's read together. And today I am reading from uh, the Art Scroll, the Stone Edition, Humash. And uh, beautiful, beautiful resource, beautiful book. And uh, I love it very, very much. And I uh, had it out studying, so I thought I'd just bring it into the podcast, into the show today. So, Ruth chapter 3. Uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, uh, My daughter, I must seek security for you that it may go well with you. Now, I want to stop right there and just kind of recap where we've been a little bit, not, not too much, but um, Naomi and her sons and her husband go into Moab. Uh, we talked about that relationship. And uh, then they, they have, because there's a famine in Israel, right? And then they come back out. Uh, Naomi comes back without her husband and her sons. They all die in the land of Moab. Uh, her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, Orpah decides to go back to her family and to her gods, which Naomi is very encouraging about, which is a, a interesting uh, kind of brain twister for <laughs> for us, that, especially those of us that are evangelical or grew up evangelical. Um, and so she says, yes, go back to your family and go back to your gods. Like, that's where you need to be. And uh, so she does, but Ruth makes her famous declaration that where you go, I'll go. Uh, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And we really stressed in, in, in that first episode a couple weeks ago that, um, that we've, we've done a, uh, you know, Christianity has done the your God will be my God thing, um, but we haven't done the your people will be my people part. Um, we, we've said, yeah, we'll take your God, but uh, you Jews can go jump off a cliff. And so um, that's just a really interesting part of this story and something I think needs to be, you know, needs to be really drawn attention to. And uh, so that's in the end of chapter one. And now Rabbi Foreman brings up a great point. Uh, Rabbi Foreman with uh, Aleph Beta. If you've never heard Rabbi Foreman, go check him out, please. He's brilliant and got some amazing, amazing teachings. Um, he brings out the point that, well, the, that proclamation, that famous proclamation, which most of us know, the, know Ruth for, um, you know, that and the kinsman redeemer thing, that, that proclamation happens in chapter one. So why in the world are there three more chapters? Why not just end the story? Why not just like, that's a wrap, you know, and end the story there. Um, obviously there's more to the story. And so for our purposes, the first chapter happens, uh, begins, opens up around the time of Pesach when they are, or when they're coming back to the land of Israel is around the time of Pesach, uh, and they're, they're the barley harvest. And uh, Ruth is traditionally read on Shavuot because that's where the, the story kind of wraps up is uh, through the counting of the Omer at Shavuot. And uh, so we are we're in chapter 2. Uh, they learn about Boaz, the, 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 you know, the, the kinsman redeemer, who we will know as the kinsman redeemer, uh, where Ruth gets to glean in his field, etc., etc. Uh, and so now we're in chapter 3. And the one thing I want to point out about verse 1 is Naomi says... Um, my daughter, I must seek security for you. And this is this translation. Yours may read a little differently, but I must seek your well-being or security for you. And we talked about yibum, uh, Y-I-B-U-M, what we call in English leverite marriage or leverite marriage. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's been kind of a theme that runs through this whole thing of Ruth. And we, you know, this is part of that yibum thing, 
um, that uh, Naomi uh, is responsible for Ruth uh, to find her a, a, a redeemer, a kinsman, a husband uh, within the family so that they can have a son, a male son, hopefully, and that male son can carry on uh, the father and grandfather family name. And, and so that and we read last week or week before why this was so important. It tells us in Deuteronomy so that his name may not be cut off from the congregation of Israel. And that's so like, I just don't think we understand how important that is. Uh, it would be like saying um, so that, uh, you know, if, if, if we had two Americans and, you know, brothers or whatever, and, and one died and um, they would basically not at their, their family line, if not for a son that would, you know, carry on their name through uh, the brother, that they, they would basically not be an American anymore. They would be kind of cut off from the nation and their memory would be basically gone. I mean, that's, and so we think about that in a nationalistic perspective, but we talked about it as in a covenantal perspective as well. That, you know, Hashem could have chosen any nation on the face of the world to, to be his chosen people. And yet he honored his promise with Abraham and, and chose Israel. And they are the only nation, they are the only people group that have the covenant with the creator of the universe. That's pretty incredible. And so this, this Leverite marriage and this Yuboom is, is more than just a weird, you know, inner family marriage thing like we may think about it in the, you know, the 21st century Western, Western world. It's very, very covenantal and it's very, very important. So um, that's part of Naomi's statement. But I just, it strikes me as, um, you know, in today's world, we have so much, uh, not that marriage is not sacred, but our cultural norms have changed to the point where, you know, I mean, how many people do you know, and you may be a, a divorcee, and, and I'm not trying to shame or, or bring any, you know, any kind of shame on that whatsoever. Um, I just want to kind of think about and, and talk through this a little bit. Um, but how many people do we know who are married to the same person, you know, that they initially got married, or are married to the same person um, that they were first married. It's it's becoming less and less of an expectancy in our culture to stay married. Um, and, and, and in many cases, um, that's a positive thing, I think, because so many of our ancestors, uh, maybe even our parents or grandparents, um, were forced culturally to live in abusive relationships and uh, and that either killed them literally or destroyed their lives um, because of there was no way out of marriage, and so even even Hashem, even especially Yeshua, gives some some leeway for um, for the health you know of of a spouse to be able to to get out of a, an abusive relationship. But but we the pendulum has almost swung the other way, where you know there's you just get out of marriage for any reason, just because it's uncomfortable or you fall out of love, whatever that means, um, et cetera, et cetera. And and so when that happens. Um, in-laws, daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, sometimes just tend to be like, a, well, now you're kind of on your own thing, right? You're not really a part of the family anymore. Um, you just kind of do your thing. Or, or even if you, you know, you're still well-liked maybe, maybe it, hopefully it ends in peace and, uh, and people, you know, go their separate ways in peace and there can still be relationship there. Um, but many times that's not the case. And it, we just become so, uh, so disconnected, so disjointed, um, from from maybe relationships that we really did enjoy with family and et cetera, et cetera. So this is a really interesting statement that, you know, to me, Naomi, she she is, her priority is seeking security for Ruth. And I think a lot of it is because Naomi understands and you boom, that this whole thing has to work together, that, that it is incumbent upon all of the family to make sure that 
that the covenant fidelity is kept and that national fidelity is kept. And so it's there, she's responsible for making sure that Ruth finds that person um, that is going to make her secure, going to make sure that she's honored and make sure that she has a place in society um, and also that can continue the family name. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy uh, and, and, and a little bit of a different situation kind of in some of the, the, the instances that we see currently where it's just like, yeah, you split up and you go your separate ways and that's it. And, uh, and yet Naomi has this sense of, of caretaking and making sure that she's, she's honoring Ruth, which is cool. All right, so verse 2. Now Boaz, our relative, uh, with whose maidens you have been, uh, will be winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Therefore bathe and anoint yourself, don your finery, and go down to the threshing floor. Uh, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he lies. Go over, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you are to do. And she replied, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything as her mother-in-law instructed. And Boaz ate and drank, and his heart was merry. He went and lied down at the end of the grain pile, and she came stealthily, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, the man was startled and turned about. There was a young woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. And she answered, I am your handmaiden, Ruth. Spread your robe over your handmaid, for you are a redeemer. And he said, Blessed be of Hashem, my daughter. You have made your latest act of kindness greater than the first, and you have not gone after younger men, be they poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Whatever you say, I will do for you. For all the men in the gate of my people know that you are a worthy woman, which just is an awesome statement. Now, while it is true that I am Redeemer, there is also another Redeemer closer than I. Stay the night, then in the morning, if he will redeem you, fine. Let him redeem. But if he does not want to redeem you, then I will redeem you. Chai Hashem, as Hashem lives. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, and she arose before one man could recognize her, for he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Hold out the shawl you are wearing and grasp it. She held it and measured about six measures of barley, and he set it on her, and went and she went into the city. And he went into the city, excuse me. She came to her mother-in-law who said, how did things stand with you? And he told, and she told her all the man had done for her. And she said, give me these six measures of barley, or he gave me these six measures of barley um, and said to me, go, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit patiently, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out for the man will not rest unless he settles the matter today. So that's the third chapter. And uh, I, a couple things I want to point out in that last, uh, the, in the, the chapter that we, that we read. So we have um, we we have this this incredible you know thing, and, and I don't want to get too colorful. You all can read in between the lines, and you know you all you all understand. I think what's going on here, and as we've discussed before, this should not be something new to us. Um, th- this this experience, this encounter that's happening, should not be something that's new to us. Um, again, we saw this with Lot. Lot and his daughters, right? That's that's a that's a type of yibum. Uh, when they 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 got him drunk, they got him fishnicked, right? And and lay with him and and to perpetuate humanity from what they thought. Um, Judah and Tamar, we have this thing where there's not necessarily drunkenness that is is talked about that is part of this, and yet there's there's deception in a sense. Um, you have the same, well, it's not you boom, you have the same thing with, uh, Jacob, right? With Jacob and Esau. Um, there's not necessarily alcohol involved. It's not drunkenness, but there's this, there's, there's an idea of deception for the covenant. And that's a really interesting thing. 
um, that we see this all over, all over the place. And I don't really know how you guys think about it, um, but it is just something interesting to point out that there seems to be this thing that it's okay in some situations, in some instances. And uh, the scholar Pete Enns uh, tells about like when, uh, when he teaches a class, he's a, a college professor, when he teaches a class, um, many times the like, things will come up about, well, like, uh, well, but Jacob lied, right? Jacob lied, and, and God honors that. And Pete's response is, that's such a, that's such a white question. <laughs> and I don't want to get into white privilege and all that. But the, if, if you talk to, uh, I have some, some black friends that I've talked, to, talked with uh, about this. And, and like they get it um, because they grew up a little differently than I did. And in the little town that I grew up in, you know, there was a poor side and there was a not so poor side, and you know, you get the drift. But um, they go like, "Yeah, sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to skirt the, the, you know, you have to skirt around the absolute truth in order to survive, in order to, um, you know, to to maintain your your life and where you are. And so, it where you come from in life kind of determines how you read these sticky situations. And for for some. Some people like me that grew up in church and, you know, very much traditional, you know, fundamental um, theology and teachings, I look at this and I go like, no, call it what it is. It's manipulation. Like, she's manipulating this situation. And yet for other folks who may be less privileged or didn't grow up in the way that I did, and I don't say, I don't believe in white privilege like, like the media, so that's not what I'm saying. But just people that, that grew up poorer or that grew up, you know, with a harder, harder struggle in life. They see this and they go, yeah, it's survival. Like, I get it. This is what we, this is what we do to survive. Um, and so that's, it's, it's interesting how you can look at it both of those different ways. So we talk about the book of Ruth and we talk about redemption a lot, right? Redemption is kind of one of the, is it maybe the main focus of the whole book. And not only does Ruth make this proclamation in the end of chapter one, what are the rest of the three chapters about? And my, my proposition is that the, the rest of the book of Ruth is all about redemption, and who gets redeemed in the book of Ruth? Well, we all think, of course, Ruth does, and we'll get to that. And yet, I want to bring out a few more redemptions that I see that I think are really, really important. So, first of all, since we've just read chapter 3, in chapter 3, let's read verse 10 and 12 again. Uh, excuse me, just let me flip back. Uh, verse 10 uh, is, or let's start in verse 9. Boaz wakes up, right, and he goes, who are you? And she says, I'm your handmaid, Ruth. Spread your robe over me. And verse 10 says, uh, and he blessed Hashem. He said, be blessed Baruch Hashem, my daughter. You have made your latest act of kindness greater than your first, in that you have not gone after younger men, be they poor or rich. So here's what I see in this, that Boaz, as far as we know, has never been married or is not married. And as far as we know, doesn't have any children. Now, there may be some other, there may be Midrash, there may be some other stuff around that, that you know, contradicts that. I don't know if there is, I don't know of it. Um, and yet, so Boaz is kind of this older uh, man of standing, very distinguished. He's, he's well-respected in the community, etc. Um, and so he's not doing bad. He just finds himself maybe fruitless. And we talk about barren women in Scripture, and that's a huge you know, topic and a huge point. Um, and yet we, we sometimes don't talk about men that are, find themselves fruitless in the later stages of life or in the older parts of life. Abraham, of course, is one that comes to mind. 
um, but find themselves without an heir, without a son, without someone to carry on their, their legacy and without someone to carry on uh, the tradition and the covenant, etc. So in this statement, I've, I, I really get this, this vibe kind of that, that Boaz feels redeemed himself. Boaz sees himself as redeemed by Ruth. I mean, he, he says earlier, I think it's in chapter uh, 2, yeah, chapter 2 where he finds Ruth gleaning and he tells her, I've already told all the young men, keep your hands off, right? So there's a distinction in chapter 2 between Boaz and you know, the older distinguished, and I'm going to say, just, you know, single, uh, no children, kind of the, 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 the nobleman. And the young, kind of the young, you know, the young servants and the young guys that are working. And he makes us this very clear in chapter two, like, hey, I've already told the young men, keep your hands to yourself, keep your eyes down, work hard, you know, whatever, uh, and not to bother you. And then here again, he, he's startled, he's surprised, and he can't believe that this young woman would be coming to him. And so here again, we have this statement that he, he says in verse 10, you know, you're about her kindness and you have not gone after younger men be they poor or rich. And, and so you get this sense that like Boaz is, he's, he's having a redemption moment himself. And I want to kind of bring back, I want to come back to this towards the end of chapter four when we kind of start to wrap up the book of Ruth because I want to talk about how, how, Israel, um, how Israel fits and how we as Gentiles fit and kind of some of this this interpersonal stuff because I, I, our inner faith or inner whatever you want to however you want to call it um, because I believe that this really speaks really speaks to that um, and so I just think it's a beautiful thing that that other than Ruth of course gets redeemed uh, through Yibum but also through Yibum Boaz kind of he gets a redemption as well and I just think that's I just think that's really cool I think that's awesome um, let's go into um, chapter 4, and we'll start reading chapter 4, and then we'll pick it up after the break. But let's get into it. Um, So uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Boaz, meanwhile, had gone to the gate and sat down there. Just then the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, uh, passed by. And he said, come over and sit down, uh, uh, Ploni Almoni. And he came over and sat down. Now remember, they're in the city gate, so they're dignitaries. They're distinguished. City gate is where all the decisions are made, where the judges sit, et cetera, et cetera, where men of standing meet. Uh, Proverbs Eshet Ha'il even talks about this, right? Um, verse 2, when he uh, took 10 men of the elders of the city, that's a minion, right? That's well established in Jewish tradition. Uh, and he said, sit here, and they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, the parcel of land which belonged to your brother Elimelech, uh, to our brother, is being offered for sale by Naomi, who has returned from the fields of Moab. I resolved that I should for- inform you to this effect. Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you are willing to redeem, redeem. But it will not be, if it will not be redeemed, tell me that I may know. For there is no one else to redeem it but you and I after you. And he said, I am willing. More land? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, everybody wants more land. The only thing that they're not making anything any more of is land, right? And so he's, 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 all, he's all about it. He's all good. And uh, verse 5, then Boaz says, uh, The day you buy the field from Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the deceased, to perpetuate the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The Redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I imperil my own inheritance. Take over my redemption responsibility on yourself, for I am un- unable to redeem. So, 
I mean, you could you could throw some shade at this guy and say, well, like, oh, he could have, you know, he's worried about himself. But I mean, hey, aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Um, aren't we all a little more worried about ourselves than we are about others? I mean, just it's just the facts of life, folks. It just is what it is. And so Boaz then gets the answer that he was kind of really looking for uh, and, and wanted, I believe. And so after the break, I want to finish up just the last few verses of chapter 4 and kind of start to draw a close to Ruth and talk about some of the implications of what Ruth's story is all about. We'll be right back right after the break. Welcome back. So we are uh, in the middle of chapter four of the book of Ruth, and Boaz has just uh, offered uh, the nearer redeemer uh, the, the the chance to redeem uh, Naomi's land and or Ruth's land and uh, Ruth herself, and he can't because of his own own firstborn. And so we are in verse seven. And says, formerly this was done in Israel. And I love this, like in scripture, when the narrator kind of pulls out and goes, like, okay, parentheses, let me explain what's going on here, and then jumps back in. I think that's awesome. Uh, formerly this was done in Israel in cases of redemption and exchange transactions to validate all matters. One would draw off his shoe and give it to another. Uh, this was the process of ratification in Israel. And so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Melon's from Naomi. So he's not just buying Ruth's husband's share. He's buying the whole thing, the whole enchilada, right? The whole kit and caboodle, which is going to be important in a minute. Um, verse 10, And what is more, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Melon, uh, as my wife, to perpetuate the name of the deceased on his inheritance, that the name of the deceased not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are witnesses today. So remember what we talked about in Yibum, we quoted from Deuteronomy, we read that passage about, you know, the reason for, for Yibum is not just for the safety of the, the wife, it is, um, be, you know, so that she can have security and have provision, et cetera, et cetera, uh, protection. Um, but it is equally as important that it is for the name um, it is for the name of the deceased. It is for covenantal fidelity and to keep, uh, to keep the name alive within the covenant and within the nation. And, and that's, Boaz continues to, to repeat that, and yet I think sometimes we miss it. We, because, uh, maybe because as, as Christianity has taught us such a personal salvation, and I, listen, I'm thankful for personal salvation. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that uh, I learned as a kid and, and as a young adult um, how how to go to God personally, right? That that I could even go to God personally. That that was a thing. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, that's it's been the foundation of my life. And yet we we focus on that and we leave out almost completely the national redemption and the national identity that is 
really more evident in Tanakh. It, it's, it's really not so much a personal thing as it is a national thing. And see, we, hear, we see that here in Yibum uh, and, and with Boaz's very statements himself. But because we're not looking for it and because we're not tuned into it, a lot of times I don't think we see it. We don't, we don't pick up on it. And yet his, the whole idea and the whole part is for the, the sake of someone else who's not alive. And I just think, again, uh, Naomi, when we talked about Naomi and, and her care for Ruth, for securing Ruth, you know, a, a future, um, you know, thinking about the other person. And, and here with Boaz's statement to the, to the minion about, the minion about, you know, the, the, the name of um, um, Milan's, uh, the name of Milan's being attached to Israel and preserved in Israel. Like we, how many of us think that way? Right? How many of us think that way today? We we pass we pass people that are that are hitchhiking that are you know down on their luck. Um, we we pass people on the highway that are in the corner begging for change. Um, you know we we have people in our own family maybe even not to get too personal and not too close, but we have people maybe in our own family that have really really dire needs and really really substantial needs. And how how much can we be bothered? How much we, can we be bothered to make sure that? Their reputation is kept up, that they are personally okay. Um, we just, I, I don't know how, we just can't be bothered in a, in a lot of instances because we're so focused on our thing. Um, and that may be the juxtaposition between the first Redeemer and Boaz, that he, you know, he was just focused on his own thing. And that's okay, and we need to be focused on us, and we, you know, we need to take care of our business. But yet when that crowds out any and all uh, ability to see other people and to see their challenges and to see their their inadequacies. You know, I mean, how many times do we even do we even not protect someone's reputation uh, when they're talked about in town or when they're talked about even in the family or whatever? And we won't protect their reputation just because we can't be bothered to. I mean, there's you know, there's just a difference. There's a, there's a massive difference, and I think m- m- part of or most of the difference. Um, is that the Jewish people have a, you know, sort of a, a leg up on us in this instance that a Jew is a Jew whether they're religious or not, right? So they have a religious identity and they have a national or a familial, a family identity. And, and so they, they're tied together in both instances. And as, as Christians, we generally don't have that. And so it's much easier for us to kind of disconnect from each other and just kind of go, well, like, whatever, you do your thing or, you know, who cares about what's going on with them? It's not have anything to do with me. Um, but because we're not tied together in really tight and close community, um, it can be easier, easier for us to kind of have these disassociations, right? So just this idea of covenantal um, pres- uh, preserving the covenant is really important here. So uh, verse 11 uh, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Hashem make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and like Leah, which I love the blessing that we say on our Rev Shabbat for our daughters, uh, both of whom built up the house of Israel. That's awesome. See, so Ruth is this, Ruth is this Moabite, and she's called a Moabite basically all the way through the book of Ruth, um, even though you know, she, this could be seen as a conversion uh, you know, traditionally, I think Judaism sees this as a conversion, and yet the the text seems to remind us that you know, she's a Moabite. You know, she's of the nations, um, and yet she's loyal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and she is loyal to the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. and And I think that's really super important that Ruth finds herself not only worshiping their God, 
but being a part of their people. And uh, I know that's sticky, and I know that's a conversation for a whole nother time, but um, this, this idea that, that, that she would be like Rachel and Leah, who built up the nation of Israel, right? That she would have sons and daughters that would add to the covenant people, that would add to the people that were loyal to Hashem and loyal to his people. Again, what Ruth's statement is in chapter 1, that her children, that, that, that the God of Israel would be their God and the people of Israel would be their people. That's just, mm, that's so good. Uh, let's see, so uh, she goes on, or he goes on to say, may you prosper in Ephrat uh, and fa- be famous in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So you see, even even they're, they're, they're bringing in some of this earlier Yaboom story, right? Um, Through the offspring which Hashem will, buy, will give you by this woman. Uh, verse 13, And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he came to her, and Hashem let her conceive, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Hashem, Baruch Hashem, who has not left you without a redeemer today. <laughs> May his name be famous in Israel. He will become your life restorer and sustain your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you has borne him, and she is better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the child, verse 16, and held it in her bosom, and she became his nurse. And the neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, A son is born to Naomi. They called him Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nishan, Nishan begot Salma, Salma begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So, all right, in this fourth chapter here, we're going to talk about how, of course, Ruth is redeemed, and that happens, uh, you know, in chapter 4 as she's married, and she, she's taken by Boaz, and she's married, et cetera, et cetera, and Ruth is redeemed. And the coming together of the nations and is and Israel is what this story for me is all about. I know there's a lot of other, you know, a lot of other ways to look at it, and that's all great, and I appreciate them. For me, right now, this is about the coming together of Israel and the nations, or the nations and Israel, rather. There's, there's two more redemptions that I see that really stick out in here that I want to I draw to your attention. Ruth is redeemed, right? And that's it's great on a personal level. Um, it's, it's a miracle, and it's wondrous, and it's awesome, and it's right on a personal level. But let's just think, about, think back in our Bible history a little bit. Um, where is Ruth from, or who is she? She is a Moabitess, right? And let's think about where the Moabites come from. Who are the Moabites? Well, we've already referenced a couple times. I've dropped you a couple hints. The Moabites come from the incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughters, right? The Moabites come from that. So let's just think about this a little bit. Let's just think about, you have Israel, or you have Avraham. You have Avraham, right, who is, in him is the seed of the nations, right? He is the father, promises the father of many nations. And we have Avraham, and he takes Lot, Right? takes a lot with him, his nephew, and they are, they are one together, okay? And after Sodom and Gomorrah, you have this issue with Lot and his wife and then his daughters, et cetera, et cetera. And there becomes a split, right? When, when Lot and Abraham split, there becomes a split in the family. And Lot goes over 
and does does the things that he does, and Gomorrah and Sodom, et cetera, et cetera, and his daughters, uh, the incestuous encounter with his daughters, and they have these children who later become the Moabites, right? Now, fast forward through the Exodus, and Israel is coming out of the out of Egypt, right, by by the hand of Hashem, miracles. They're coming out, and they go all they're all the way almost to the land, and they come through the land of the Moabites. And we know what's said about the Moabites in, in that section. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read it real quick. Okay, this is Deuteronomy chapter 23 and uh, verse 4. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of Hashem. Even their tenth generation shall not, shall not enter the congregation of Hashem to eternity. So the tenth generation, I know that I've heard some explanations about in Matthew's gospel about why Ruth is uh, included in the genealogy. And like, well, it's, been, it's more than 10 generations, so it was fine. But the number 10 is not like 10 exactly. The number 10 means forever, right? And so this translation, this Humash translation, kind of bears that out. Um, Shall not enter the congregation of Hashem to eternity because of the fact that they did not greet you with bread and water on the road when you were leaving Egypt and because... He hired against you Balaam, son of Beor, Petor, Amram, uh, Aram Naharim, uh, to curse you. But Hashem your God refused to listen to Balaam, and Hashem your God reversed the curse to a blessing for you because Hashem your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their welfare all your days forever. Wow. That's incredible. So, <clears throat> so we have... The the um, the re- the redemption and the stuff that's happening in 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 chapter four, that this that's who the Moabites are. They are these people. They are they're cousins. They're cousins to the Israelites, distant albeit, but they're cousins to the Israelites. And Hashem says, when you came out of Egypt, they first of all, Hashem doesn't say this here, but just remind ourselves, they're products of incest. Second of all. They did not greet you. They did not care for your well-being when you came out of Egypt, when you were slaves searching and, and searching through the wilderness and traveling through the wilderness to, to your land. They did not give you a second notice. And they actually hired a prophet to curse you. So I love, I just think it's, it's incredible the way verse 7 says of Deuteronomy 23. Um, do not seek their peace. Don't look, don't look, don't want to be friends with them. But do not even seek their, their welfare. So it's like if you're walking down the road and you see a Moabite in trouble, you're like, well, stinks to be you, I guess. Like that's the, that's the animosity and that's the relationship that is between the Israelites and the Moabites. So like that really sets in context all of this. So when Naomi says in, uh, in the beginning of chapter 3, I must secure you, I must make sure you have a secure future, wow, like that's completely diametrically and like perpendicular to to what is the, the the basis of the story and the truth of the of the story and the the commandment even in Deuteronomy right it's just wild wild and crazy stuff so as we have Abraham and Lot create the Moab uh, that uh, Lot ends up being the Moabites and so they're coming back together so you have Yibum a, a kind of a twisted ugh, you know incestuous Yibum started this whole thing. And now, all these years later, all these generations later, the story's coming back together. And through Ruth, not only is Ruth personally redeemed, but the whole story of Lot and his daughters and the whole story of the Moabs is redeemed through this marriage. Now, there are still Moabites, and there are probably still, at this time rather, 
there's still contention and the Israelites don't like Moabites, Moabites, whatever. There's still all that. But the storyline is being retold as in a way that this is a redemption of Lot himself and of, of, of the story and the, the, the sinful issues that took place there or whatever you want to think about that. Even more than that, I would argue, this is a redemption of Abraham himself. Because if you remember in Abraham's story, he loved Lot. And he wanted Lot to be a part of what God was doing through him, through Abraham, right? And he gave Lot up once. He gave Lot up a second time. He gave, like, he, God, Hashem continued to test him about giving Lot up because that is not how Hashem was going to fulfill his promise. And so we, like, we get rid of Lot and, and we kind of, we move on to Abraham and Lot's kind of never thought about again. Like, whatever, we know, like, all the stuff that happened back with Abraham. And that's all we know about Lot. We don't really think about him again. And so in a, I don't know, in a cool kind of intimate way, it kind of feels like, like Hashem is, is, is tipping his hat to Abraham and, and almost giving the memory of Abraham some rest in that he's, he's restoring and in redeeming the, the, he was redeeming Lot anyway. Lot and his, his people, it, in his story, get to be a part of the the story of Israel after all, instead of just ending on a really bad note. That's how the the story ends on a really great note. Like you're supposed to think back about this and go like the Moabites, uh, oh Lot, Abraham, oh wow. Like I think you're supposed to make those connections. That that the story doesn't end in tragedy with Lot and Abraham. The story ends in redemption. So it's not just Ruth and her personal redemption, but it's, it's her whole people and her whole family line. And most importantly, I think it's, it's Lot and Abraham getting some redemption in their relationship as well. And I just think that's really super, super, super cool. And the last redemption that I want to talk about is, uh, is in verses 13 through 22. Um, we talk about uh, Boaz becoming, or Ruth becoming Boaz's wife and, and bearing a son and the women speaking to Naomi, this is in verse 14, bless Baruch Hashem who has not left you without a redeemer. They tell us to Naomi, who has not left you without a redeemer. Now, I personally believe they're talking about the son that, that Ruth gives birth to, not to Boaz, uh, not about Boaz, um, because they go on to say, may his name be famous in Israel. He will become your life restorer and sustain your old age. Um, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you has born him, right? So this is talking about the son. Um, and uh, this is talking about, uh, about Oved. And she is better to you than seven sons. So Naomi, Naomi gets a, re- gets a redemption here as well. Think about Naomi. She has lost everything. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She lost a daughter-in-law with uh, Orpah in the process comes back to a home that she's not been to in Bethlehem for however many years, we don't know, and, and comes back basically to nothing, possibly. And yet through Boaz and through Yeboom and through this, this reconciliation, this redemption, she's restored, she's restored even more than what she lost. What does that sound like? What does that sound like again to another, another book of the Bible, another character, another story we're talking about? Sounds a lot like Jonah, doesn't it? So there's connections here even between Ruth and Naomi in this story and the book of Jonah. I mean, the, the, there's, there's all these connections. There's all these, these patterns in here that are just, they, they build up the story and they should build us up as believers as well as we wrestle with these things and think about these things. So in the last uh, five or six minutes, 
um, what I would like to do is I'd like to talk about how kind of I see this in in light of where we are today. So we have mostly or we have traditionally reckoned Boaz as a Yeshua type figure, right? He he prefigures Yeshua, um, which I completely agree with. Boaz is um, is is the one. And the interesting thing about about Boaz, one interesting thing that I caught this time reading through Ruth was when when Ruth gets up to leave in the morning, he gives her a a, a sack of barley and says, "Take this, right? Don't let your your mother in law go without, right?" And it's like a it's almost like a deposit. It's like a it's like a deposit on what will come next. There's there's two these kind of two encounters with Boaz towards the end of Ruth, where where you have the encounter in the threshing floor, and then you have the encounter when they're married after the the decision of the minyan at the gates, right? And so you have kind of like this deposit, like you've been good to me, and I and I want to show my appreciation, so I'm gonna give this deposit, and then you have the fulfillment or the culmination in their marriage and the and the conception of a son. And so I think about Yeshua in that, you know, when Yeshua came the first time, um, I, I firmly, I don't believe at all that, that he completed everything. Um, that I think Yeshua left a lot of loose ends. And, and that hopefully doesn't take away from him. If it takes away in your mind, that's not what I'm, I'm trying to get at at all. Um, and yet what Yeshua does is he, he, when he leaves, he sends the comforter, right? Um, the, the, the spirit, the ruach. And it's 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 that deposit. It's like I was here with you. The, the the presence is here with you. The spirit is here with you. And this is a deposit for when I'm when I'm going to return. And and the he tells his disciples before he leaves, like everything you everything you saw me do, I want you to go and do it and do greater, right? And so the the quote unquote loose ends, the term that I use, that he leaves, are not because he couldn't finish the job or because he fell down on the job or whatever, but it's because he wanted he left us things to continue. And so in that sense, this, this kind of deposit between Yeshua and Boaz is very similar. I want to talk about Naomi. And for me, Naomi represents not only Israel, but the Jewish people, specifically for our purposes. Ruth says, I want your God to be my God and your people to be my people. And as we've talked about already, We've done a good job as, you know, as Gentiles, as Christians, we've done a good job at saying we want your God to be our God. And yet we haven't done so well at saying, I want your people to be our people. I was in a conversation the other day and, um, with a Jewish friend of mine, and we were talking about, you know, we, we as Hebrew roots, you know, Messianic um, folks, we get really excited and really proud of ourselves for returning Yeshua back to his, you know, Hebrew roots, his, his Jewish roots. And this Jewish friend of mine just comically said, there's, there's no such thing as Hebraic anything in Scripture. It's all Jewish. Um, and so, you know, but the, making the point that like, we get really like, oh, we're returning Yeshua back to, you know, back to the Jewish people, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just made the statement, I, I think we need to do some work on maybe returning Hashem back to the Jewish people. And the reason why I say that is because we, we've said, your God will be our God. Uh, you know, your, your God will be our God. But then we took God and we made, in some instances, we made him something that's even the father, Hashem, is not recognizable by the Jewish people. Um, we've given him characteristics and things that he doesn't have um, in their mind. And so it, the whole thing needs to be restored, and the whole thing needs to be redeemed. 
And yet over and over and over through scripture, throughout scripture, the, the direction for people coming to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Hashem, is always the nations towards Israel, period, full stop. The, it's, it's, never the na- it's never that the Jewish people go to the nations for redemption. It's always the nations come through the Jewish people, period. We talked about uh, a couple weeks ago occult gods and national gods and deity worship through the nations and stuff. That This is very relevant for this conversation. Naomi is the one who Ruth, is she, she's her gateway. Now, yes, Boaz is the redeemer, but without Naomi, Ruth would not be attached to the nation of Israel. You see how this all works together? And so we, we say, well, yeah, but we have, we have Yeshua. We absolutely, we do. And Baruch Hashem for it. We have Yeshua, who was a Jew, who was the, the Jewish of, most of, of, you know, of Jews in his time. And the, the prophets tell us that, we'll, that the end of the time, we'll, the nations will come and grab a hold of a Jew. So we, we have entrance through Yeshua, and, and yet we've, we need to grab a hold of the Jewish people. And we need to approach them. See, it takes both sides, their side and our side, for the whole redemption. And because it's so important, it's the onus is on us how to approach the Jewish people. We have a lot of damage that we need to undo and a lot of respect that we, and trust that we need to regain back. That's not on them. That's on us. So I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation through the book of Ruth. And I hope you are blessed this week. And we will talk to you again next week. Shalom, shalom. 